Welcome everyone to Rockem Nation Podcasts. My name is Sam Snelling. I'm your host. Uh, we are here for another episode of uh, Grizz Cuts after the Memphis Grizzlies had a banner night of the NBA draft uh, last night. Um, I'm kidding, of course. This is Dive Cuts. Uh, we are not going to be talking about the NBA. We're going to be talking about the SEC uh, regular conference schedule. Hopefully, we're going to get some basketball games coming, uh, <laughs> provided everybody is, is healthy and ready to go. With me, as always, is my co-host, Matt Harris. Matt, say hi. Hello. And uh, we're welcoming in uh, the man, the myth, the legend, Blake Lovell, <laughs> who is uh, Mr. SEC Basketball, as far as I am concerned. Blake, how are things with you? Yes, uh, it is almost the start of basketball season. I'm excited, and uh, I'm also excited to see what happens in the SEC and how many games are going to be played this year. So, uh, like, so pretty much every team has released at this point, uh, uh, like, at least a rough sketch of what <laughs> their non-conference <laughs> schedule is going to be, and most teams kind of have in that, like, you know, that seven-eight game range. Um, what's the over? So if I set the over under on like, let's say four and a half uh, games, so the majority of the SEC will play over under that number of non-conference games. I was gonna say five, so I guess I would go over, but not by much. Um, <laughs> I think that's probably the safest bet. Would, would be my just again. We have no idea where things go from here, but I was gonna say five, so I guess I have to say the over on that. Okay, Matt, you got a take on that? I think we'll get over five. Um, most you think? Most teams have tried to get. I think you can go up to twenty-seven with MTEs, and if you're gonna do eighteen non-con games. It's 27 total, so if you got nine in the non-con, let's say you do get a positive test and that knocks you out for two weeks of quarantine, that, that's three out. I, I still think you're going to clear five. I think there's enough kind of like holes in the schedule too, where if you're not at like one of these like neutral side events, you could scramble and like try and you know lock in a game to, to make up for one you missed. So I, I think teams will get over five. I, I think there's enough flexibility that you could you know fight and claw your way back to get there if you needed to yeah i'm I've just kind of find it interesting is it just seems like you know every day there's at least like three or four division one teams who are like oh we gotta we gotta pause yeah. things like we got a positive test uh i think so creighton um yeah creighton went down today creighton went down today uh and were they in the movie? They're, no, yeah. So they were in the, the Bad Boy Mowers Crossover Classic in South Dakota. The Puff Daddy Invitational, um, yes. Yes, that's where they were. Like, that just seems like a really bad idea. I mean, considering where both South Dakota and North Dakota uh, are in the, the COVID race in the country, um, I'm not sure I'd really feel comfortable taking my basketball team up there. Well, A&M's not um, going either. A&M has said they're, they're not flying uh, as Kim Pomeroy said, into Covidistan to play basketball <laughs> yeah. games. So, um, yeah, it's um, and, and it's going to be interesting because Connecticut, I think, is going to have. I think I have to go back and review. Connecticut's got some interesting quarantine procedures, but the Mohegan Sun is like technically on an, an Indian reservation, so I don't know exactly what the quarantine or safety protocol uh, reconciliation process is there, but. Um, <laughs> 
It's like we're going out to the Bermuda Triangle almost to play basketball games at this point or trying to get them in. It's just it's just crazy. Well, so our our general plan here is uh, is we're going to preview this SEC conference um, with the understanding that it is very um, possible, if not likely, uh, that significant chunks of the season are going to be lost due to you know COVID infections. Um, that being said, uh, there are still going to be a fair amount of basketball games played, and a lot of uh, and and there are 14 teams in the SEC who we think are going to, you know, play most, uh, if not all, of their basketball games this year. Um, we have a schedule. The schedule is tight. Uh, they didn't really seem to, uh, I don't know, take any additional precautions. It looks like a regular old SEC basketball schedule to me. I mean, most games are on Tuesday and Wednesday, uh, and then again on Saturday. Um, the home road splits seem about the same. It, it uh, I mean, I don't know about you guys, but I really think that the, uh, the, the schedule feels as normal of a SEC schedule, which I was a little, a little surprised by. Yeah, I think it was, I mean, that's the first thing I thought of. I was like, well, there's not really a whole lot of difference here. Like this is just sort of your normal go-to SEC conference schedule that I feel like we see. Every year, um, you know, they do have kind of the, the built-in at the back there if they need it, but it's just like, I I don't know. Again, guys, we, we're, we're going to say this so many times, but it's like we can try to project what these teams are going to look like. We can try to project what their records are going to be, but I just feel like in a season like this, um, it's it's really hard to know. And I, like you said, I mean, it's just looking at the schedule itself. I mean, hopefully all these conference games are played and uh, hopefully the situation where, you know, we go into you know the the NCAA tournament talking about how oh man we're excited to get for the SEC to get seven or eight teams in uh, and we're not having to say well uh, you know the SEC is going to get four teams in because uh, seven teams didn't get to play this many games like this just I don't know there's so many different potential scenarios but uh, it's yeah, it's it's going to be wild. A couple weeks ago I said that you know this was an opportunity I think for Greg Sankey and the, and the rest of the conference leadership to be really creative in terms of what they wanted to do here I mean they could have. Going back to the you know the Big Twelve or the old SEC format where you played home and homes against everyone in your division, and then you split home and roads against cross division teams. Uh, you could have just you know said you're going to have seven you know dates where you're going to play back to backs against okay. a team, so that way you only have teams making seven road trips and they're going to play two games in the same spot. Would that have been fair? Would there have been some complaints about equity in terms of who got what yeah but then you would have only had six road trips you would have been making instead of you know nine and that would have cut it down i know that they weren't and the likelihood of them not doing a non-con was very very minimal and it would have been very difficult uh for an ncaa tournament selection committee maybe to just parse through a conference only schedule my view just given what we're even seeing now with as we mentioned a minute ago, like Creighton going down and having to suspend, you could get 18 to 20 games in over this period of time instead of trying to do 27 or 26 of them. You know, you just open up some wiggle room in the schedule for you to move some dates around. So if you aren't going to do non-con, you could at least go to the NCAA selection committee and say, was this optimal? No, but we cleared the minimum number of games needed. And we can give you a full conference performance chart here. We can give you a full set of standings. 
you can evaluate each team here on this on the table and see what they've done. And you know, there's a pretty good home and road split. So I think that was that was what took me off guard was that the conference office, you know, has said that they're going to you know let science dictate the way, and they're going to let you know events on the ground sort of guide how they manage sports schedules. And what do they do? They produce the same old, same old, which makes mm-hmm. me think that they didn't really evaluate the situation on the ground, or that if they did, they just sort of decided, well, you know, we'll just go with inertia. We'll just let inertia take us where it's going to take us. So uh, I was a little bit disappointed to see they didn't use a little bit of creativity to at least try and, you know, give us or give these teams a full conference run. So, but again, I don't, I'm sure there are business decisions and other factors in play there as well. Yeah, exactly. Like letting people inside your arena. Um, But Uh, before we get into anything like that, because I I certainly know how Matt feels about that subject. um, (laughs) Let's get into like talking about these actual teams, because I think there's a lot of uh, reasonable optimism for the season. Uh, SEC had a little bit of a rough go last year, and I think people were kind of looking at the amount of players that were coming back, um, as well as some you know really good recruiting classes, and think, oh, like there's SEC is going to make this this big leap this year. Uh, and as you kind of get into the rosters, like I, my initial take is like I think I think everyone's going to be better um but like marginally better and and not like vaulting the uh the sec you know upwards uh to you know kind of in the same stratosphere where like you know the the big 10 or big 12 in is in at least according to ken pomeroy um so i mean i'll leave this up to you guys do you guys want to kind of start at the at the bottom of the league uh and work our way up or start at the top of the league and work our way down I say we start at the bottom, just because. We'll, yeah, we'll, we'll I probably, agree. I don't want. I don't want to deprive people of their Georgia <laughs> breakdown that they're going to get. Um, okay, so so let's start with this. I you know we kind of chatted beforehand. We we sort of agreed uh, on a little bit of a bottom tier, um, and so we'll kind of look at the maybe just the the bottom tier as a whole, um, because these are basically the I think the three teams that are generally agreed upon to be. Uh, they're going to finish in some order, you know, twelfth to fourteenth. Uh, those teams are Mississippi State, Georgia, and Vanderbilt. Mm-hmm. Um, so, Blake, you are actually based in Nashville. Um, at least you were last time we talked. <laughs> I'm <laughs> assuming that's still the case. <laughs> yes. Probably should have verified that before I made that. But uh, so, so what? What is the? Uh, what is the like the optimist outlook on Vanderbilt this year? Like, what are the expectations around that program? Are are we in a point where, like, another fourteenth uh, place finish is going to be like putting you know some some hot seat kind of under Jerry Stackhouse, uh, or you know, is he is he collected enough talent? Because I was kind of looking at the roster, they don't really have a lot of high end talent, but they have way way better depth uh, this year than they did last year. Yeah, I think that's a fair assessment that they they have more depth. Um, last year they just didn't have the depth. I think even the year before that they just didn't have the depth to, to overcome the injuries like we talked about, of course, with Darius Garland, and then um, you know to to have the one you had to Aaron Neesmith last year. I mean, it's just one of those things where you think about it, guys. Like I, I feel like the draft um, on Wednesday night kind of showed you to where. Look, I mean, Garland was picked, you know, very high. I mean, you know, Neesmith was picked as a you know very high, and I just 
I think you realize that all those guys were on the team together at the same time, and that's a huge loss. And I just don't think the program kind of knew what to do the past couple of years when those guys went out. Now we've got Scotty Pippen Jr. I thought he had a really good freshman year. Uh, I think he'll obviously be the guy that most people will focus on. Uh, Dylan DeSue also thought he was, you know, pretty good. But that was the thing: is Vanderbilt had to play. A lot of these young guys, they didn't really have a choice, but yet it almost turned out to be a good thing, uh, even though they did struggle a bit and, and only won three conference games. But I, I think I think they're going to be better. I don't know how much better they're going to be, though. And I think the problem is, and this is what I keep telling people, is the, the thing is Vanderbilt could be better. But are they going to be better to the point to where they're going to all of a sudden get out of that play in you know, 11 through 14? I just don't see that, even with the, the depth that they have. Even getting someone, you know, like DJ Harvey in there, um, I just don't know. Like, like I just don't know that they're there yet. I will say about the hot seat. I think everyone not named Tim Corbin is on the hot seat in Vanderbilt athletics right now, based on the state of the uh, the athletic department and just everything going on. Uh, so I can't say that. You know, I think this is. I don't know. Like, I think it's more of a probably more than just a basketball discussion at Vanderbilt when it comes to athletics right now. But I. I think they, I think they're going to be better. I'll say that, but I, I don't know that being better is going to allow them to move out of 14th, 13th, um, just because I just think the SEC, as we're going to talk about from top to bottom, is at a point where Vanderbilt has put itself so far behind the past couple years, to where we see how quickly things can move in this conference in terms of teams moving on the way up. I mean, how many years ago was it, guys? Five, six years ago, Auburn was this team that was losing every single year, and look at where they're at now. Um, you can, I'm sure there's many other examples we can point to. LSU that year, I remember what was it, the A&M game several years ago in the tournament where they got beat by like 40. Um, and now all of a sudden, you know, I know where they're at from a, you know, NCAA standpoint, but they're also, <laughs> I mean, they also have a league title here recently. So it's like, I don't know. Like, I think that's the thing I keep going back to with Vanderbilt is I just, I wonder, have they put themselves so far behind to where even a better team is just not going to equate when it comes to moving up the SEC ladder? I look at Vandy and, and I, to pick up your point about what that state athletic department is, I mean, the university as a whole has to decide, seems to be shrinking whatever autonomy is in that department right now. I know they promoted a long time an associate AD who, some folks there wanted to get the job over Malcolm Turner, uh, who was brought in from the G League, who had run that. Um, so maybe her institutional knowledge and her credibility, you know, helps stabilize some things there. She's bought in; she has some equity. Maybe that helps. But I think the issue is less: is Jerry Stackhouse on the hot seat? Then is Jerry Stackhouse going to look around here and go, "What can I sell a staff? What can I sell kids on in terms of stability here?" Like, I've got this great pedigree. I've, I've I'm highly respected as former assistant. I've won a G League title. I can point to player development I've done for the Toronto Raptors 901. And if there's any organization that's excelled at player development at the professional level, it's Toronto, and he's got some ties there. You know, I, I don't think the question is Jerry Stackhouse in the hot seat. It's, is Jerry Stackhouse going to look around and go, is this where I want to be? Or do yeah. I, I want to, you know when the time comes next spring or when the next coaching, you know, carousel opens, do I want to go and try and get back on an NBA bench, do some good work and, you know, bide my time there and, you know, go try and get an NBA seat, a head coaching seat at the NBA level there. I think that's 
really the question it's sort of the inverse is jerry stackhouse gonna fire vanderbilt and 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 i was gonna say i think the problem with that is if you're him and you're looking around and saying okay if i go out and win 10 games again this season if i want to be an nba head coach what is this job doing for me yeah like i don't feel like it's doing anything but putting a negative sort of blemish on your resume for a guy that has such a you know decorated resume as a college player as an nba player and then you know as a g league coach I think that's the thing. So if Vanderbilt comes out, they can't make any positive steps forward this year. I that would not shock me at all. As for the roster, I I liked the record was not good. I think we can all agree on that. But I, I Blake, maybe you agree. You watched Vandy last year. There was a degree of fight in that group that there wasn't yeah. the last two years. I mean, yeah. defensively they were a mess at times, but they were also really young. Um, and the style that Jerry had them playing was great offensively. It put them in some compromising positions, you know, coming back on transition, matching up, and how they were approaching things on the defensive end didn't help them. But they got they they were in they were in games, they were engaged, they cared, they wanted to win, they wanted to play well. Um, you know, we can talk about Saban Lee, you know, not quite evolving into a floor general as much as a combo guard asked to kind of slide over. But I thought Scottie Pippen came on. I thought Dylan DeSue showed flashes at times. You know, I, I think there's some pieces they can build on. You know, Sam wrote it in his preview that the bigs, you know, aren't going to wow anyone, but they're they're pretty sturdy. They can give you minutes up front. Um, and you know, maybe he's got a pretty workmanlike recruiting class coming in. DJ Harvey's a transfer that is going to be pretty good. Isaac McBride um, will hopefully get uh, some eligible. Will get his eligibility resolved. And now you've suddenly got some pieces again. Nothing that's going to know maybe move the needle this year maybe you again go three and 15 or four and 14 in the standings but you know you go into next year with another recruiting cycle you know another you know group of good solid you know pieces to put together and now you're looking at a group that i think you know will have some will have some chemistry there'll be a culture that's established there and they'll have some depth and you know maybe that's when you can start to make the push i think no matter who is in the seat down in nashville they were going to need two to three years just to get the culture right, just to get, you know, some stability in there because the back end of Kevin Stallings tenure and Bryce's tenure were just way, way too turbulent. And I think they, they need to settle the waters there. And I think Jerry's trying to do a good job there. The question is that culture, of the athletic department going to be one that he wants to stick around for, but I think he's doing the best job he can right now. So the interesting thing that I see, I see is, uh, you know, my process of kind of going through the previews, I've actually found that, like, I've wrestled with the idea of actually bumping Vandy up a spot because when I was looking at Mississippi State's roster, it's not a good roster. And I'm a little surprised. Um, I mean, I think there was always sort of this... Uh, this turnover coming the way that Ben Hallam was kind of recruiting uh, well enough in some areas that you, you're, you land a guy like Reggie Perry. He's eventually going to leave early. Um, uh, you know, a few other guys kind of left uh, early within the last few years, but uh, they basically have like a top 75 freshman point guard coming in. Uh, Abdullah do, which I think we can all agree is, I mean, he's a quality defender. Um, but he's not a guy that you're going to throw the ball to on the block and ask him to go get you a bucket. Uh, 
Then there's DJ Stewart, who I think is is a pretty adequate wing, uh, and he really kind of loaded up on, like, I guess developmental uh, level freshmen, um, like the Anderson Garcia. I think is his name. Is looks like a, kind of a nice player, or could be a nice player. Looking at some of the, uh, I think Keandre Montgomery, I watched a little film on him. He looks like he could eventually be like a good looking player. Um, But I just really don't like the makeup of this roster. And I'm not entirely sure that that they won't be the worst team in the SEC this year. Yeah, I'm with you. Uh, I'll just give you the quote from our Blue Ribbon. Um, Chris Dorch did our did our Mississippi State preview, and here's the here's the quote that it ended with. Uh, I think we could be competitive this year if everything goes right. That's what Ben Howland said. So to me, that says, boy, I mean, he's, you know, he's never been one just to come out, I think, just to sort of, you know, I mean, Ben Howland's usually going to shoot you pretty straight. That's, that's a quote. Like, um I mean, if if everything goes right, we're going to be competitive. Well, that's uh, that could be a problem because, uh, yeah, I'm with you. I just I like Abdul Adu as a player, but as you said, like, is he going to be that guy that every single thing is going to go through on this team? If it is, um, I just I don't know. Like, how does how does he step into that role because he's not Reggie Perry? Uh, again, good player. I, I've really enjoyed watching him, but I just I don't. It's a completely different team now, and uh, I, I think, think he's he's maybe the, like the pe- the best post defender in the league. Like he's yeah. a yeah, really he's really good. good defender. He's fantastic down there. Yeah, but right, but it's like how do they score? Like what are they going to do against <laughs> yeah. some of these other teams? And in order to win basketball games, you have to score the ball. Yeah, so I, just, we, we've I mean they teams that struggle to score. And <laughs> <laughs> look, I mean they've got this some transfers. That we know. Yeah, and it's just like I, I'm not like I'm not on the Mississippi State bandwagon right now. I just don't think they're going to be anywhere near what they've been the past couple of seasons. And and I, I agree. Like if if everything goes right for Vanderbilt, and you know if everything doesn't go right for Mississippi State, I don't, I would not be surprised at all if that's they flip spots there. Uh, I look at you mentioned the transfer, Sam. JV and Davis couldn't crack the rotation under two, you know, couldn't crack the rotation in Tuscaloosa. Jalen Johnson's a solid Sunbelt guy, but, you know, if you're a decent... He's, he's also a guy who, like, left uh, SLU uh, because of, uh, you know, lack of opportunity. So, I mean... If you can't crack, if he it, wasn't... If you can't crack a rotation at SLU, which is, a supposed, which is most of the time a pretty good A-10 program, and the A-10's a top-10 conference, if you're not cracking the rotation there, I have little faith that you're going to come in and make a dent on an sec roster and he's i mean he's like my projected starting combo for at this point i you know i think he's a guy who can give them you know some solid minutes but uh i mean if you're relying on you know jalen johnson uh to give you you know 12 points a night like i don't see it i mean he might get you there but it might it might take 20 shots well, like, what what about Georgia? Like, I mean, I know we're going to, this is a great segue. This is what I do. I just come on and just give you guys great segues. But, <laughs> like, I mean, I, I look at Georgia. The more I look at Georgia, I'm like, man, I don't know about Georgia either. Like, and I know that's why we have them in this tier, but it's like, I don't think Georgia's going to finish 14th because I think they've got enough of those guys coming back that at least have a little familiarity there with the system. And, you know, their backcourt, they've got some experienced guys. But I'm like, you know, I don't know. Is it? Without Anthony Edwards, is Georgia a team that was really not great on offense to watch sometimes? 
Um, are they going to be any better? And I don't know. Like that's that's another roster that I look at and just kind of think, mm, I don't know. I'm still not sure about Georgia either. So. They lost more than what people thought. I mean, they they lost nearly seventy percent of their production in most. Yeah, categories. it's like it wasn't just it wasn't just Edwards. Like they lost Rayshon well, Hammonds. Like it's just like and, yeah. And, so. the, and the and the yeah, hangers me, on the, the Hammonds loss was probably like the the biggest thing. I I was actually thinking kind of coming back into this year before you know he announced he was staying in the draft that. Uh, you know that that Georgia would probably have a chance to kind of climb up into the middle of the uh, middle of the pack and kind of be like that seventh eighth spot with with you know Rayshon Hammonds. I just thought you know you could really kind of key the offense through him and and when they did at times last year, you know they were they were pretty efficient. But the thing that scares me probably the most about Georgia is you know Tom Crean uh, had a really good recruiting class. You know he they weren't all like you know, Kentucky level uh, players, but he had a lot of four stars kind of line, lined up in that class with Anthony Edwards. And he came in and, and with this incoming group this year, basically like recruited over those guys yeah. uh, with, um, with junior college transfers, with graduate transfers yep. uh, and with another four star freshman. So, uh, you know, I think w- you watched like severe Wheeler, um, you know, kind of have some moments last year and he's got, now he's competing for minutes at point guard with with a junior college point guard and a freshman point guard. Uh, Christian Brown, who I thought was uh, actually a guy that I really liked uh, in high school, yeah. and I mean I, I thought he would maybe you know take a year or two to kind of get going, um, you know. But but he brings in Justin Keir as a guy who is probably going to start on the wing, and so that like those are minutes that in in a season, and I, I realize you probably can't predict. Uh, COVID being as as prevalent as it is, but in a season which is basically a mulligan, yeah, and and you could really throw out your young guys and get a lot done with those young guys, and instead, like we're going to be watching like you know PJ Horn, uh, and we're going to be watching Justin Keir and you know Mikhail Starks, and we're not going to be seeing Jaquan Walton, we're not going to be seeing Christian Brown, uh, and we might be seeing less of. You know, Tumani Kamara, who you know I thought had a really great year last year. So, yeah, I, I you know as as much as I feel like I'm a Tom Crean fan, I'm I really don't understand unless uh, <laughs> I don't understand what he is doing unless the the plan was basically he already knows that the guys that he had aren't good enough and aren't going to be good enough anytime soon. And he had to supplement that roster. And that's the only explanation that I could come up with. The one thing that I look at with Tom is he's never been afraid to sort of like let youth, you know, sort of season itself. It's what drove Indiana fans insane about him was that he would let guys, he wouldn't change system. He'd still play fast. He'd still run a really complex NBA inspired offense. And it would catch his guys out defensively. And, he would say that we're going to let them play through it. That's the only way they're going to get better, and they'd evolve and they'd grow, and they, you know, get to be juniors and seniors, and suddenly you have guys that are competing for Big Ten titles. To your point, he—I don't see them doing that this year. Now, the only thing I could imagine him potentially doing is saying, "I've really jacked my tempo up higher to where it was even when I was at Indiana. I'm now running 75, 76 possessions a game. I just want to make sure I've got." know fresh bodies to you know spell guys or i want to make sure that i can maybe have some different lineup combinations maybe that's the thing maybe he's you know altered his ways and he's decided to use the transfer market or the juco market to go find more specialists but i'm like you this doesn't 
this approach to roster building doesn't really remind me of how Tom Crean typically builds his rosters. And the graduate transfers he's gone out, he's gone out and gotten are not bad. Justin Keir was going to be a really good A10 player before he got hurt, but is he a guy that you want to you know give minutes to over you know two top 100 kids in Christian Brown and Jaquan Walton? I'm not sure. I don't know if the upgrade is really that much higher, and I would rather sort of see what I'm going to get from Brown as a small ball four or from Walton as a really long hyper athletic wing than one year of Justin Keir. So I, I'm just I'm confused as to whether or not this is Tom hedging his bets or if we've just gotten so used to how he builds his rosters that we aren't seeing that he's adapted and maybe this is what he's doing. So, but even then, there's just a log jam in the spot where. Denel Gresham, Tyree, Kump, Tyree Crump, and Jordan Harris used to be. I don't know who's going to get those minutes, but it, it's a log jam right there. It's and it'll be interesting to see who comes out of that and who he decides to ride with. So I think that that probably leaves us uh, out of the bottom tier. I, I I don't know if I can see any of those three teams kind of crawling out of you know we'll say like the five or six wins or less group yeah um but i do think that like there's a there's there is that next tier um and one team i think is is maybe at the bottom of that is texas a&m and i actually just finished writing my a&m preview um i think today uh so they're fresh in my brain um i think anyone we're all gonna say that the hire of buzz williams was a terrific one he's got that program headed in the right direction they surprised everybody last year by winning 10 games in conference. A lot of those games are on the road, which is kind of weird uh, for for a young team. Um, but we, we call them a young team. But, you know, like Josh Nebo was uh, an aged veteran. They had Wendell Mitchell, who I thought was just a guy who just had a knack for making shots for that team. Um This is a team that I, I, I understand why there might be some people who aren't quite sure what to make of them because i'm not entirely sure what to make of them but i think when you look at what they lost what they're bringing back what they're growing with i think we're probably looking at a little bit of step back of what they were able to accomplish last year which probably far exceeded what they should have been able to accomplish with all things being equal yeah i think the roster is better than people will give it credit for um i just think with you know having flag back and then i think adding kevin marfo you know someone like that who I don't, I mean, again, I, they're different players, probably Marfo and Nebo, but it's like, um, they're, they're going to be asked to do the same things. Like Marfo's going to be asked to do the same things that Nebo kind of in that situation. And so, but still that's, that's a good problem to have. Maybe when you have a guy coming in that averaged 13 rebounds a game, I mean, I know it was it, you know, where it was, but it's like, still this guy is, is a player. And so I think they're very high. I mean, you know, you guys know, I do the A&M and Missouri previews for blue ribbon. And I think talking to, you know, Jamie McNeely, their associate head coach. Like, I just think that they feel like this team, just because it's their second year, like that first team, yes, like they probably felt like they overachieved. But I think having some of the guys back that they have, that is going to give them an advantage in their minds because they have these guys who now kind of know the system, which, again, adjusting to a Buzz Williams system is not an easy thing to do. And that's one of the things he pointed out. Um, it's not always easy for some of these guys to do. Uh, but I think because they have the guys coming back they do and then you know you have potential sort of breakout players i mean even someone like jonathan aq who you know averaged one point a game two rebounds didn't play much at all 
I think they're very high on him in terms of just his development. I think McNeely even told me that uh, kind of the rate of his improvement was probably as good as any big man that Buzz had coached ever before. So I don't think he would just say that to say that. So maybe that's someone that could step in. They had a nice recruiting class. I I tend to look at Texas A&M, and I put them in that same category as probably like a South Carolina Teams like that to where I would not be surprised at all if maybe this is the team that finds a way to move ahead. And I know they did it last year, but I just think this roster is probably better than even I want to give it credit for sometimes. Um, just because I, I feel like this is one of those rosters sort of sneaky good just because they have a nice backcourt. You wonder what's going to happen in the front court, but I don't know. They, they just seem to have some of those intangibles, and I think this team may actually be pretty good. I think Savion Flake's going to you know, bounce back a little bit, and now you're going to have an experienced wing. You're going to have a guy in Marco who's just a guy who can jostle on the block. Aku's going to take a step forward. You know, Hassan Diara and Jackson Robinson are guys that I think, you know, they're not one-and-done type caliber players, but they've really upgraded the talent at the point guard position and at the wing. Now you've got some options that are interesting there with your guard rotation. Diara is just a really tough, tough kid, you know, coming out of Putnam Science Academy, ran with PSA Cardinals, that's a really tough program, and they typically produce really competitive players. I, I I like what they've done. I just think that this team, if they're not quite there talent-wise, they're going to defend their asses off, they're going to play hard for buzz, and they're going to know who they are. And I think that matters a lot. I, you know, I think we... Across the SEC, you know, you look at Eric Musselman and, you know, Nate Oates guys who came in and just rapidly turned over their rosters. And Buzz has done some renovating, but he's let it be a little bit more organic to me. And I think that that says something about kind of who he is as a coach, where he's going to come in, he's going to see the guys that are there, he's going to you know give them some equity, he's going to bring them into his system, adapt a little bit, and then he's going to slowly bring in guys that that are going to fit what he's going to do. And maybe it's a little bit slower, and maybe they're not going to be up in that, you know, third fourth or fifth tier this year but in the next couple of years i think they're the recruiting is going to hit there's going to be guys who are bought in and i think the gap's going to shrink a little bit and I, and I agree with both of you i think they're a team i have at seven and eleven right now but i had them starting two and four and closing i think at two and four i think if you flip a couple of results on the front end on the back end especially at the front end, if they get out to a three and three start they get a little momentum behind them they could be a team that gets to nine or ten wins and suddenly we're looking at a and m and Maybe people will be surprised, but you know, you flip a couple of results anywhere in this league, and and you can move up you know, two or three spots. So I, I I like where they're headed, and I think that they could really surprise some people with just a couple uh, turns in their favor. So uh, Blake, you brought up you know South Carolina is sort of a similar team, uh, and I want to quickly kind of turn to them because this is a wildly interesting roster. Um. <laughs> So, Frank Martin has approximately 37 guards. Yep. Uh, and two, maybe three posts. Uh, and none of those those guys are, are world beaters. I think, you know, Alonzo Frank, uh, you know, is a guy who might have a little bit of the, the inside track on starting. Uh, unless Frank just decides to start all five guards, which, you know, is entirely possible. Um, but it, it is one of those things where they have a really impressive backcourt. I mean, you look at um, you know, Jermaine Cuisnard, who had a nice year last year, AJ Lawson, who I think is, uh, you know, 
uh, NBA level talent. You know, Keyshawn Bryant, who's just like a freak of an athlete. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I really thought like they were going to get good play from TJ Moss. Justin Manaya, a couple years was really, really good. Um, they just have like a, a lot of options in, in the backcourt. And at the same time, like, I don't know who's going to like rebound the ball. <laughs> so, I mean, now, now, you know, Lawson and Bryant, those guys are, you know, really athletic and they're big guards. So obviously, I mean, that'll help. Um, but this is, I mean, this is a team that they were a lot of fun last year, uh, which, you know, we, back in the days where Frank Martin was at Kansas State and in his early days at, at, uh, at South Carolina, we would jokingly refer to his style of play as murder ball because they would just defend the hell out of you and, and make, make playing basketball uncomfortable. Uh, well, now they're playing with, like, with a lot more pace. I mean, they're still playing really tough uh, physical defense, but they're, they're getting up and down the court. Uh, you know, they're pushing the ball. They're, they're taking shots earlier in the shot clock. Uh, they're playing a more entertaining style of basketball. Um, like, is, is this the team that's, that's really going to kind of, you know, help Frank sort of, you know, break through that, I don't know, the, (laughs) that, you know, that, that bottom of the middle of the pack area that he's, I feel like he's kind of been stuck in for a little while. I tend to think it's probably going to, because like you said, I, he brings it up anytime anyone says anything like he's like i don't understand why people just continually kind of refer to me as this defensive coach he's like we try to play so fast like we want to play fast and i think not having you know those post players that's going to be a disadvantage in some matchups uh in other matchups maybe maybe south carolina is going to be a matchup team like there are some teams that you're going to look at and say man I don't know if South Carolina is going to get a rebound against that team, but, um, you know, and then there's going to be other games where it's like, oh, well, that's a pretty good matchup for them. So I, I think that's probably what it's going to come down to. But I am so intrigued by this roster, like you, because, I mean, Kuznard, he is kind of that guy that, again, I mean, he averaged 12 points a game last year, but I still don't think people looked at him as sort of a, I don't know, as, as like one of the better type of, I guess, you know, guards in the SEC. But I think he can sort of break out into that mix this year because he's got Lawson on the team with him. Um, Keyshawn Bryant, as you said, just an absolute freak of an athlete. Um, he'll he'll probably have a lot of highlight reel dunks as usual. Justin Manaya, I think just dealing with the injuries, like he's someone who a couple years ago we were talking about this guy as like a breakout player in the league. Um, and so I, you know, Seventh Woods is there. Like, there's, I don't know what to expect in that scenario. Like, there's just, there is, there, he has a lot of depth, but I guess the thing is, he's got depth one through seven at guard. And then, you know, at post, he's got one through two. So it's just like, I don't know. Like, what's that going to look like for them? I'm going to pick them low just because I do it every year and it seems to work out well for them. Um, and South Carolina fans, I think at this point, are just they always pressure me to do this. And I'm just like, all right, I'm just going to keep picking you eighth or ninth. Like, that's just where you're going to get picked. And, you know, the thing is, I guess, with South Carolina, if they're not playing as many non-conference games, they won't lose a couple of those that they shouldn't lose. So maybe that's a good thing, too. But I just think they're going to be right there. Like, in that mix, I think they're going to have a chance to make the tournament. Uh, I just don't I don't know how good they're going to be, but I do think this could actually be one of Frank Martin's most entertaining teams he's had there, and that could be a good thing, that could be a bad thing. When I look at re- the returning core, like, I, I tend to look at – I break down SEC returners every year and into, like, five tiers of five guys a tier. You know, in tier two, there's a, you know, there's A.J. Lawson. Tier three, there's Jermaine Kiesenaar. And then tier four, you know, there's Keyshawn Bryant. And that's not even, you know, including guys like Justin Manaya in that group and or TJ Moss or even 
a vet like Seventh Woods. I just in college basketball, it's so guard driven, and it, it pays to get old and stay old. And if you've got three good guards who are veterans, you that you know you can fill out the rest of the rotation. But you know most rotations only go seven to eight deep. You got three good guards. You can sort of piece it together after that. Now, is Alonzo Frank the best big? Not not by a long shot, no. But I, I think he's a guy who, if you put him in there. He's going to rebound. He's going to be a big body around the rim. You know, Willem Zavec is a guy who can rebound and get on the board. I mean, fresh didn't play a lot, but rebounds the basketball and, you know, can be a big body in there and get you something out of that. You know. You got one job, kid. Just come in, get on the glass. <laughs> and, yeah. You know, Keyshawn Bryant and the other guys, those guys. And the thing is, they were a great team rebounding group on the offensive glass. They could, a shot would go up and they could go get it. And just the way they play defensively, you know, with on-ball pressure, denying easy reversals, they create turnovers, they're going to bleed you of some possessions. You know, I, I think they can make it work. And they're really, really tough at home. And that's a recipe to me to get to 9 or 10 wins. If they catch a couple breaks, maybe they get to 11 or 12. I, I, I just bank that they've got three experienced veteran guards. And, you know, we can joke about, you know, they have a million more behind them. But they've got three guys they can build a rotation around, and they all kind of do different things, and they all kind of play off each other. And I think that's a nice core for them to work with. So I'm, it, it pains me to you know not pick South Carolina around tenth or eleventh because sometimes I know just I look at this roster and I get confused. But at this point, Frank's committed to playing faster, and he's got guards to do it. So I, I think they're going to be a team that's going to be really feisty. So uh, I'm ready for a fight now. <laughs> because the next team that I want to talk about is a team that I I see in a lot of uh, rankings. I see in a lot of uh, projections. I see them up way higher, and it it doesn't make sense to me. <laughs> um, I'm gonna uh, so we're gonna talk about Ole Miss, and I'm before I jump in. Um, I'm just gonna so so Blake. I know we kind of talked about, uh, like where we sort of had our, our our teams beforehand. I have Ole Miss at 11th. Uh, I think I am the person that has them lower than anyone else that I've I've seen. Um, if anyone has them as low as 11th or lower than 11th, please. Uh, <laughs> Uh, please let me know so I can find them and, and elevate that uh, that tweet so I can see it. Um, but yeah, so I'm not super high on Ole Miss. I'll let you two fight this out. I'm, I'm ambivalent <laughs> on Ole Miss. Matt is, is slightly higher on them than I am. Um, but you had them, I think you said like sixth or, or, <laughs> or so. What's what's the argument for Ole Miss at this point? Well, with Ole, and by the way, when you said what you said in your your build up there, your suspense, I thought you were talking about Auburn. So that kind of tells you, I guess, where I'm at on Auburn. But um, <laughs> I I just think like, and, and again, this is not for for me. I I wouldn't say Ole Miss is a hard six or even a hard seven, probably for me. I think they're in that range of teams. Do I think they're you know probably in that same group as a LSU, Florida, Alabama, uh, maybe? I don't know if Arkansas, kind of they're another one I think that's sort of tricky to figure out. But 
I don't know, but I think also Ole Miss is one of those teams that could be sort of sneaky good just based on what they've added. And I know everybody's going to look at Bree and Tyree and say, well, they lose this guy, you know, could score 40 points in a game and all this. But I'm not going to say that's addition by subtraction because he was a, a heck of a player. And, and I just think, you know, having Bree and Tyree is better than not having Bree and Tyree. But. You know, you're also looking, I guess, at these guys that are coming in, and you're saying, okay, is Jarkel Joyner going to be able to join this group and, and make a, an impact? Is, you know, Demencio Vaughn going to be able to come in and make an impact? I think Romella White's going to be in a pretty good position to do that uh, based on, you know, what we've seen from him thus far. Now the question becomes, what else is around them? Devontae Shuler, I think he's sort of an underrated guy uh, in terms of, you know, what he's done there thus far. He's obviously going to be a big, you know, help on defense. And then I think it, there's some what-ifs everywhere else. And, you know, I guess when you, you sort of look around and say, okay, is Ole Miss going to be one of the deepest teams in the SEC? I don't know if they're going to be one of the deepest teams in the SEC in terms of, you know, if we compare them to a team like, you know, Missouri or some of those teams that are going to be near the top, I don't necessarily know that. But I do think that their top core is good enough for them to win some games. And I, I think because they do have experience, now that's the thing, and we're going to talk about experience a lot, but – they have some experience on the roster, and I just think that's going to be something that's going to help them. Um, but they're they're a tricky team. I, I will say, even for me, putting them maybe as high as 6th or 7th in the SEC, they're still a tricky team to figure out because I, there are a lot of what-ifs with Ole Miss. But I, I do tend to think that, and maybe it's just me being a, a Kermit Davis you know, homer based on what I saw from him you know, around this area for so many years, I tend to think this is the kind of team that he could really do well with, just based on some of the pieces that are on the roster. Um, you know, he's done well with transfers before. He seemingly finds those guys that fit how he wants to play. Uh, and so I, I, I'm going to lean towards that and think that he'll probably make it work. Uh, but I'm not going to say that this is a team that doesn't have some question marks uh, and some potential weaknesses just because I don't know if they have the depth that some of these other teams have. So I'm just less convinced that, uh, you know, that, that transfers at this point are – you know, going to help you a lot. Um, you know, particularly where those transfers are coming from. I do like that they added Romello White. I think Romello White is an upgrade over you know Kadeem Sai, who is you know a, a fine post player. But uh, certainly, if you can get a guy who's going to give you ten and eight on a regular basis, you're going to take that guy over the guy who, you know, might give you six points and and six rebounds, but you know also plays the game in foul trouble. Um, the you know the the key for this this team for me is, is Devonte Schuler, and I feel like there's a lot of people who are are probably going to say that and 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 point to, um, you know Devonte Schuler as being a a really good player, and I think he is when he's playing well. I also think he's one of the more inconsistent players in the SEC. Um, he's just as likely to. Uh, you know, go three of 18 from the floor as he is to, you know, go, you know, 11 of 13 and, and, and really carry you. Um, and so because I just don't think that you're going to see somebody become a completely different player after three years of being another guy, uh, I just don't think you can elevate Ole Miss into a, a another tier or have them ready uh, unless, you know, like, I really like uh, Matthew Morell or, or Merle or however you want to say his last name. I'm not entirely sure, um, you know. But he's a guy who reminds me a lot of actually like Aaron Neesmith. Um, yeah. You know, good build uh, at the two guard, handles the ball well enough. Uh, you know, can really shoot the ball. Um, 
I just don't think that relying even on uh, you know a guy who's you know a, a high four star freshman, you, you can't really count on a guy like that to be your every night guy. Uh, and then you look at the wing, like you know Demencio Vaughn, um, you know, and and Tavian Collum. I mean, Luis Rodriguez. I mean, I, I think what you're hoping for out of that group is maybe Austin Crowley uh, takes a big step forward or something. And I just, I just don't see enough pieces on this roster um, for me to get excited about them as as being anything other than you know more. And again, like we're talking about teams in that next tier. Uh, so if they went like eight and ten, even nine and nine, it wouldn't surprise me. But I think they're probably more of like a seven eleven kind of team. I'm. I think they've just swapped some pieces. Is what they've done. I mean, you bring in. You, you talk about a guy like Romello White. That's a good addition. But you're subtracting Blake Henson. You bring in, you know, Matthew Morell, but you're losing Bree and Tyree. Um, to me, the real question is, is Domencio Vaughn going to be able to replicate his production at writer? The data tells us that upgrandsters tend to struggle at, at doing that. Um, Jarkel Joyner, again, coming out of, you know, a low major conference. Like, are those guys, you know, the, you know, the numbers and the stat lines may look pretty good where they're coming from, but you look at, you have to account for where they're stepping up to. I just think you're more likely to use those guys in a specialist role. So do you want to give more minutes to a guy like Domencio Vaughn, or do you want to ride with Matthew Morell, who's a freshman trying to acclimate? So I just think what Kermit's done is he's he's traded pieces around here, but he's kind of wound up in the same spot. And, you know, I think sometimes we confuse activity for progress, and I just kind of wonder if they've scrambled around to kind of just keep themselves in that 8-9 to nine win range here because i just look at the you know all the questions that each of you have brought up a a team that i think is going to challenge you know for that fifth or sixth spot has probably resolved a little bit more of those at this point so i don't know if they put it together maybe they make a push but i think i noted this and i and i added it to sam's review for them was since kermit davis started four and one in his first season in the sec he's gone 12 and 19 cents like, I just think, you know, we talk about what Kermit's done, and you can't deny the latter part of his tenure in Middle Tennessee State, but, you know, over the last 30 or so games, it's it's been a struggle for them. They've been a team that profiles more as a 6-7 or seven win team, and this roster, while there have been some interesting pieces added, is the collective improvement there. I'm skeptical that it is. So I think I had them 8th or ninth, and finishing ninth with a tiebreaker is where I had them at this point. You know, I think maybe they're a little bit better. I think they'll take a little step forward, but I'm I just can't see, you know, maybe what Kim Palm's early analytics look like, and which has them at fifth. So yeah, I was I was really kind of puzzled by that. I mean, you lose, you know, two of your top three scores, and uh, you you bring I mean, and again, you bring in Romello White as a nice piece. I just but it, you know the. They they made a significant jump in the Kempom ratings, and I I was a little confused by it. Um, he said it. There's been there. It can be a little wonky sometimes, like when you're trying to account for how transfers are moving between rosters. It can yeah. It can juice it a little bit. So maybe that's what's happened here. But um, the one team that I, I want to talk about is Auburn because 
I, I don't know what to make of this group. I've looked at this roster up and down. I've looked at the recruiting class. I've talked myself into them as high as six and as low as 12. So <laughs> just they're probably the biggest variance for me as I go through and pick the schedule, man. I, I don't. And then part of me just says, Bruce has had a really good run. Just trust Bruce Pearl to figure this out and slot him, you know, eighth. Just put him there and just split the difference. So I, I don't know how you both, I, I just want to hear how you both feel about Auburn because I'm open to all suggestions at this point about the Tigers. Well, and that's why I think when you we talk about Ole Miss, like there's a reason why I could see putting Ole Miss as high as six or seven because I, I, I don't know about Auburn. Like I don't know the South Carolina. We talked about their roster. I don't know about A&M. Like there's, there's lots of things, and I think there's lots of sort of middle as again we we go back on our podcast we've had over the years here and probably every time we're saying the same phrase boy the middle of the sec like it's just so hard to figure out like we don't know who's going to finish here or there and i feel like it's the same way you know this year of course and i think with auburn i'm with with matt here i i'm just like oh bruce pearl coaches auburn well they're probably going to win 25 games like they're they'll find a way to win this at least 20 um but then i think okay well they lost all five starters uh they're probably gonna be one of the youngest teams in the country uh, where where do they go from here? And I think that's the thing because it's not just a matter of Auburn when you're trying to like project where teams are going to finish, right? It's about everybody else around you. And I think there are so many teams around them that have these experienced grad transfers, even if they don't pan out perfectly, like we talked about with a team like Ole Miss, um, or you know, you're a team like Tennessee or even Missouri, who we'll get to, that has all this experience. Like there are just so many other teams that have players that have played in the SEC for two or three years that I tend to look at and say, all right, am I going to buy that over, you know, guys who made good jumps last year? Like, in, you know, when you look around at Devin Cambridge and, um, you know, some of those other guys that, that played well in the roles that they played in, but this is completely different now. Like, these guys go from being sort of those guys who would come in, give Auburn a spark off the bench, uh, whether it was Cambridge, whether it was Jalen Williams, um, you know, Alan Flanagan, guys like that to having to be like top guys on this roster if this team is going to win games now obviously you look at who they're bringing in um you know Sharif Cooper is a very good player and he's going to be someone that's going to do a lot of good things for Auburn this season uh probably the same thing with someone like JT Thor and and some of these other guys that they're adding but this is a completely different team than we saw last year it's a completely different team we saw the year before the year before that like this team, there is no comparison for this Auburn team that Bruce Pearl has had thus far there during his tenure. Um, so I think anyone who wants to just say, well, you have to put Auburn in the top half just because Bruce has proven it time and time again, he has, but he has had completely different rosters to this. And he's never had a team like this. He's said it many times. Um, you know, this is just one of those teams that. I can't imagine going into this team, and if you're like, if you love betting on sports and you love betting on games, I can't even imagine wanting to bet on an Auburn basketball game this year, given all the inexperience that they have and just such a different team. So that's what I would say uh, about Auburn is just sort of to say I think their potential is there, but I cannot possibly say that I'm going to feel comfortable putting Auburn in the top, even as much as I love Bruce Pearl. And Alabama fans will tell you every single day of the week uh, that I am such a Bruce Pearl guy. But, I mean, look, his, his results speak for itself, but at the same time, this is a team that I just think does not compare with some of these other top teams we're going to talk about. And I look at it as a reset year almost. Like there, I think Shreve Cooper's going to move on. Obviously, I think he's going to try and be a one and done guy. But maybe you hold on to JT Thor. You're going to have like a really, really athletic kind of like modern 
four and Chris Moore. Dylan Cardwell is going to be a guy who's going to be around him there for three or four years. And then you're really just trying to see what you have from guys like you were saying, Flanagan, Cambridge, Williams, Tyrell Jones, and like Babatunde Akambola. Like, who this year is going to like put a marker down for minutes next season when they've got Jabari Smith coming in? And we're going to look at this roster and it's going to be, ah, oh, crap, they got JT Thor, they got Jabari Smith, and they've got all these athletic freaky vets. Like, that's, I feel like that's what they're building toward. And so I think what Bruce. This year, if they finish 7th, if they finish 10th, if he can start to figure out kind of if they're competitive and where they're going next year, then I think that's a win for them. So uh, that's kind of where I think his confidence comes from, is he's recruiting at such a level now that this is almost about finding kind of that middle and back into the rotation pieces that he can trust for a big run in 21 and 22. See, I think the the season for me uh, in Auburn, whether they're going to finish in the top half of the league, comes down to um, you know Devin Cambridge and Jamal Johnson. Yeah. So two like last year we were looking at this Auburn roster and we we're like, oh, they're going to take a step back. Um, and they didn't take a step back. Listen. I mean, maybe a, a little bit of a step back, uh, you know. But they didn't take a big step back because uh, Samir Doty and uh, Javon uh, McCormick both the gap, took man. a big step up. Uh, you know, they filled in. In both leadership and production, um, they maintain the culture that uh, you know that uh, you know the guys before him had, had kind of built up. Now they were helped by you know having a, a you know an elite guy around the rim uh, in Austin Wiley, who was really just kind of go out on a high note, um, as well as you know a couple other you know guys who I I, I think were you know, really pretty underrated, you know, Anthony McLemore is a guy who I always loved as a player. Um, you know, so, but if Jamal Johnson and Devin Cambridge kind of take another step, uh, and they're able to, um, to be, uh, you know, like those two were for that team last year, then I think you're looking at a team that's going to finish in the top seven. Um, but, uh, you know, that's a big question mark. It's asking guys who I'm not sure are, as good as uh, like Samir Doty was a much bigger role player on a Final Four team, um, you know, than, than than Cambridge was last year. So uh, you know, I don't know. It's it's gonna be it's gonna be an interesting season uh, for Auburn for sure. See, I feel like the one team I, I I'm probably gonna get in fights with it, people over is Arkansas. Uh, Arkansas only Kentucky like loses less than what Arkansas did last year. You know, their best, most proven returner is Desi Sills. And they've got a bunch of transfers, but I don't see a truly elite transfer among this group. Um, and while this is a good recruiting class and, and must did a good job locking down the borders, Eric Musselman didn't rely on freshmen at Nevada. Like, he didn't. He lost a five-star who transferred out because he didn't play enough as a freshman at Nevada. So, mm -hmm. and he keeps his benches short. He's tended to keep the rotations tight. So, I just look up and down this roster, and there's one guy back, you know, some talent up and down here, but I don't know how it all fits. Like, and I think what people are doing is they're looking at this roster and going, oh, man, look at all these different items, and it's like you're looking at an a la carte menu, and I don't actually see a meal. Like, I don't know how he's going to make... <laughs> a meal out of this and 
I see people picking them at six, then I'm like, <laughs> I, I, just, I just don't like the big transfer they got was Justin Smith, who was the sixth guy on an NIT Indiana team, and that's the guy you're going to come in and plug in. Vance Jackson was a solid, you know, starter in the Mountain West. Don't want to d- knock Vance Jackson, but not like an elite level, high, you know, mid major, you know, borderline player. You know, Jalen Tate. I love his. He's a you know, if you look at his metrics and you're an analyst guy, you'll love what he did in Northern Kentucky. Wishy washy for the Norse. JD Note inefficient at Jacksonville. Like so, just sell me on what this transfer, these transfers are going <laughs> to do when you put them on the floor together. Now I've watched Moses Moody a bunch, and that kid's going to be freaking awesome. That kid can score at three levels, smooth, tough as hell, you know, but. You know, after him, is there any freshman you're going to plug in there and, and give him the keys and, and let him play? I, so I, I just look at our, and that, that's not to speak ill of any of these guys or to say Must is a bad coach. I just don't know what this team is going to look like at all. I have no real feel for what they're going to be, what the rotation is going to look like. Is it going to be sh- a short rotation, you know, or a deep pinch? Like, just somebody tell me why I should buy Arkansas at like number six in the standings given all the sort of open questions. <laughs> yeah, like I think that's the biggest problem. And, and look, I'm probably guilty of this with certain teams, but I think we, we look at how many points per game the grad transfers had at their last school, and we look at the ranking in the recruiting class. And sometimes I think people just base a team off of those two things. It's like, oh, well, they've got these grad transfers coming in who averaged you know, 25 points per game at Southwest Northern State, um, and then they've got a recruiting class in the top 15. So all of a sudden, that means it's just going to be a great team, and and I do think Arkansas has potential to be very good. They do, uh, because they do. You, I, I want to be clear yeah, about that. They do, right? And I mean, you guys know I'm a Musk guy. Like I love Musk. I think that he is going to you know have them right there where they want to be probably over the next however long he's there. Um, just because I think that he knows how to do it, and I, I think he's going to make it work long term there. Um, but at the same time, like you said, I mean, it's, Moses Moody is a is a fantastic player, and I think he's going to be really fun to watch. Uh, but you also look around and say, okay, well, how are some of these guys going to fit in? And and that's why, you know, you guys know, when you make these projections and you try to figure out this before the season starts, the only way you can do it is probably base more on the teams near the top. You're going to feel like our teams, you feel like you know what you're getting from them. There's a larger sample size, whether that's just because they have players coming back, whether that's with certain coaches, um, or just certain elements that you look at and say, okay, I feel much better about this team than I do the others because maybe there are more things that you know. Arkansas... I don't want to say they're in the Auburn category in terms of I don't know what we're going to get, but I don't know what we're going to get with them uh, because I don't know what that rotation looks like. Maybe, um, you know, once we get into early February or something like that, because it's it's interesting to see kind of maybe the different rotations he's going to have to use here. And I, I, don't, I mean, I, I do like I think they're. I think they're going to be a tournament team. Like I feel pretty good about that. I think they will find a way to win enough games to to make the tournament. Um, I just I don't know. Like, are they going to be good enough to leap ahead of Florida, LSU, Alabama? Um, you know, maybe in those top teams that we feel like right now are in that three to five range. I don't know, and I think potentially if everything goes right they could get there uh but i think right now that's probably for me is why i would put them behind those teams just because uh they have a little bit more of unknowns than, than maybe the, that trio of teams does well when you look at their non-con schedule i think it's clear that like Muss is going to be spending the first two three weeks really just in the lab trying to figure it out when you're scheduling mississippi valley north texas ut arlington lipscomb 
Tulsa, Central Arkansas, Oral Roberts, and Abilene Christian. You know that. You know some of those are, are, are typically solid mid majors, but you know they're, some of them are going to be taking a little bit of a reset year in their respective leagues. The non-con schedule tells me that Must is trying to give his team a little bit of a buffer before they get yeah. in because they open up with Auburn, Missouri, and Tennessee, and you know two of those are away. They got to go to Auburn, they get Missouri at home, and they got to go to Tennessee. I think he's going to want to have the rotation locked in or much, much more pared down and firmed up by the time that happens. So to me, the non-con says that this is going to be a whole lot of tinkering happening the first couple weeks of the season for him before we get to, before we get to SEC. Yeah, it sort of put um, like the, the floor on Arkansas, I think is higher than what you might get at like Auburn. Yeah. Um, and I, I, I think, you know, the ceiling from what I, I would just guessing, I I feel like the ceiling is maybe about the same. Like, I really don't see Arkansas as a team that's going to jump into that, like, top four. I don't really think you can see that with, um, you know, with, with Auburn uh, or Arkansas. Um, you know, but if either of those teams landed at, like, six or even five, like I'd be like, oh, yeah, I, I could see, I, I can see a path for how they get there. Um, you know, but I'm, I'm probably closer to, to you, man. I, I am a little bit more skeptical in Arkansas. I have them at 10 and eight. Um, so my 10 and eight teams are Alabama, Arkansas, Missouri. Uh, and I, you know, it's one of these things where I don't know the tiebreaker, so I don't know exactly where they fall. Uh, I still have to figure that out for the previews. But, um, yeah, I mean, there's there's things that I think you like. Um, you know, I, I, I do like the young talent on the team. I think that they've got enough older pieces that it, it'll kind of help them maybe win some close games early. Um, you know, I just... I do think that people are overestimating them in a lot of areas though um and this is like to me this is where i think we kind of fall into a trap of of you know mainly in the sec bubble where you think the sec is going to be so much better and i think arkansas is a a really um really good example of a team that that is probably better than they were last year but it's going to be like marginally better it's not going to be like significantly better um because i also think we maybe um kind of underestimated like how and this might sound weird but overestimated how really good and effective mason jones and isaiah joe were for that team uh, a year ago and and the impact that they had on on winning basketball games for arkansas um so i i have a hard time really seeing them take off the way i think some people are kind of projecting i think it's just a solid middle of the pack sec team and and if they get a break here or there um, to kind of go their way, then yeah, I mean, I could see him winning 10 or 11 games. See, I profess like all this confusion, then I have him at 10 and 8 and finishing 7th because they lose a tiebreaker. To... I f- yeah, I, f- I feel like, you know, they're, they're the team that everybody else, like, like you get talked into them by everybody else. You know what I mean? Like, oh, like going through and picking games, the next thing you know, I'm like, I'm kind of skeptical on Arkansas, and oh, I've got them at 10 and 8. <laughs> realistically not that skeptical apparently but you know but bud walton's a tough place to play even like even with no fans there i still think like that's one of those home gyms you know yeah and 
I mean, I had him opening at two and four, then going, then ripping off a five and one stretch, and then closing at three and three. Like the middle of their schedule is where I think they're going to be able to do a lot of work, and they're going to be able to make some headway there. Now, if they can get out of the gates pretty quick, then I think they could be pretty tough. But I mean, like I said, the tiebreaker is them going to South Carolina. If you put this team versus a Frank Martin team in Columbia, I'm going to take the Frank Martin team. Uh, that's that's just I look at the I look at that matchup like that specific matchup. They're going to have the athleticism to run with Arkansas, and they are so tough at home, and they're going to get into them. And and that I think to your point speaks to it. Like you get into these games and you like look at it, and you get to one of those matchups, and it's like, all right, you national guys who are like going up and down this roster. I get what you're seeing, but what made a fine Arkansas season in one or two spots in the standings is. Can this roster that has only one returner go into Colonial Life Arena against a tough-ass coach and some veteran guards and get a win? Like, that's what it's going to come down to. And so I feel like those are the games, and we have this conversation every year, that's kind of what defines that middle tier is, can you go get those tough wins? And is can you get just a few of them your way to, to really make the difference there? So I think that's what people are going to run into with Arkansas this year is, the roster is going to run into some realities that maybe you can't account for till you get to the schedule. So, so next would be uh, Alabama, and we've kind of touched on them a little bit. Um, this is a team that I think a lot of people really like. Um, I, I'm still going to take a little bit of convincing, mainly because I'm I'm a little concerned uh, that even though he's he's got the talent kind of where he wants them. Um, is this, uh, you know, is, is he still going to kind of play the style where he's letting his guys take as many threes as they were taking last year, which I'm not sure is the most effective way to win in this league. You know, like, because I, I mean, I don't know that they have outside of maybe John Petty, um, you know, and Shackelford, probably uh in in that group maybe as well but but you know truly elite shooters um so alabama is a team that i'm like but i'm still like i'm not quite on the bandwagon there well i am all in on alabama famous last words (laughs) um because well, I, and maybe that's another thing is I feel like I've been burned by being on the Alabama bandwagon in the past. Yeah, and uh, they're a perennial you know, overachiever like, in this league. Yeah, like it's a great roster. Don't get me wrong. They spend money. They recruit well. They've had good coaches, and they win 19 games a year. Like, yeah, sell I, me, Blake. Sell me. On well, me. Florida's starting to enter the Alabama range for me oh, here oh, because yeah. um, you talk about teams <laughs> that I don't feel like I can trust. I I don't know. I. I put Florida maybe close to Alabama, although, as we said, I mean, Alabama has been very consistent. They've just been very consistent at, you know, not winning as many games as you think they're going to. Um, I mean, look, not having Kyra Lewis, uh, I mean, he's just, he's such a good player, and it's obviously going to be different. I think a lot of this is going to depend on Javon Quinterly. What does he look like? Uh, Because everyone is going to judge him based off of that one season at Villanova. I don't necessarily think that's fair because I think, you know, it's a different situation. It's a different circumstance. We know how good he was before he came to college. If he can be the player that we all projected him to be when he came into 
you know, the NCAA, then I think that he's someone that could be really, really good. Um, but then you're also, you know, you look around at what else they have, obviously getting Petty back and, and Herb Jones. Those were two huge, I think, additions because they both add an element that this team has to have to win, which is, you know, a knockdown three-point shooter and one of the best defenders, not just in the SEC, but probably in the country in terms of guys who can just defend the way that Herb Jones can. Um, you know, he can he can offer a lot of help in a lot of areas. Like, he can make up for some of the deficiencies that they have on defense. Uh, but then I think it, it gets to that next group of guys where Jordan Bruner comes in, you know, transfers from Yale, great stats there. What does it look like in the SEC? We're going to have that question, I think, although I, I feel like he's going to fit in pretty well with how they want to play because he can step out and do things. Uh, and then, we're, you know, we haven't even talked about Shackelford yet. Like, he was one of the best freshmen in the SEC. Um, Alex Reese, I think we've all sort of been up and down on him in terms of maybe the role he plays. Um, and then, you know, some of these guys that they're adding with, with the freshmen, you know, like a Josh Primo and some of these other guys – this roster is very good. They're going to have one of the best backcourts in the SEC, I think, if Quinterly is the type of player that people think he can be. Um, and then it just becomes, okay, what does the front court look like? The rebounding, uh, defending in the paint. I think those are the biggest question marks I have with Alabama. But if they play the way Nate Oates wants to play, um, you know, I just think that they are going to have to win some games. Like, I just – I feel like just the way they play – the roster they have is the depth that they have on this roster. It's they're they're gonna have to play some young guys, but because they have the nucleus of the guys that they have coming back, uh, minus Kyra Lewis, I still think that this is a team that because of their style, if they are just kind of hitting that stride, like I think they're going to. Again, I would put Alabama's highest third on my list in this in this league because I just feel like that they have that talent to do so this year um they maybe they don't have the overall experience that some of these other teams maybe have and they may not be as good of a defensive team which is something you know you wonder about in terms of maybe how they're going to defend as compared to a tennessee or some of those others uh, but i don't know man i say it I, I feel like i say this every year i'm like oh alabama's going to be great and all this and <laughs> I, I I tend to think that they make that move this year, but uh, I I can't say that with full confidence just because we've said this before. I, I love John Petty. I think and Petty's you know obviously a guy who, who who's a knockdown shooter for kickouts, but man he he can he does all. You go back and you watch tape of him. He can do so many other little things within the flow of the offense when they do when they don't just come down and they you know run a drag screen for Kyra and look to kick. You know, he can, you know, on pin, you know, he can run a, a pin down and, you know, then bury a smaller guard in the post. He's a pretty crafty cutter, you know, in some ball screens. He can work and get himself loose and, you know, sidestep into a jumper. Shackelford's got great feel. Um, Just I think, neat. I think a lot of people are going to, you know, catch on to him this year. You know, he's, to me, one of the top ten returners in this league. You mentioned Herb Jones defensively. Like, as I said with South Carolina, if you've got – three or four guards that can that you can rely on night in night out you've got half a rotation and you've got you know some building blocks there Quinterly to me has to rediscover his confidence like you said um I'm fascinated by Bruner I think he's a, a great fit for what Nate wants to do I think he can rebound defensively but he's played in short roles so you can use him in some interesting ways with Javon Quinterly as a screener and roller uh, he can step out um, so he can do some interesting wrinkles there. And at this point, I just think you need Reese for rebound and rim protection. Uh, it, there's going to be so many guards and just the way that they want to play. 
put him in the dunker spot or maybe have him as a roll man and then just tell him to rim protect and rebound. That, that to me is, you know, that's your starting five to me right now. Um, I know people, scouts love Josh Primo, um, but I, I just think you've got so many experienced guards right now that he can come in. Keon Ellis is hyper-athletic and fast. I think he's a nice change of pace, guys. I think those are some depth pieces for you. Um, I was really anxious to see what Alex Joku could give him at depth because um, I think he's a true stretch four, but unfortunately he has an Achilles injury, I believe, so he's down for the year. So I just like the pieces they've got, um, and, and they and I felt like there was going to be an adjustment period next year where the defense was just going to naturally be crappier because it was such a radical shift from how they've played under Anthony Grant, Avery Johnson with the tempo and, you know, almost the Houston Rocket style commitment to layups and threes, you know, maybe another year and really sort of adjusting and having those guys fit in improves the defensive numbers. But I love the guards and, and I'm just going to roll with them. And I, I think I have them fourth or fifth. I think I have them fourth in my standing. So that's, uh, I, I'm like you, maybe they'll snake bite me again, but I, I just love the guards too much right now to put them much lower. So that would turn uh, our attention to uh, the aforementioned Florida Gators. Um, <laughs> no one can trust skept- Mike White. People got mad at me skepticism for years. Like, can, can we just skip this, this segment knowing that anything we say is probably like, I feel like there's, I don't know. Like, I feel like we save ourselves 15 minutes here because. Uh, there's all the reason to like Florida. And yet. They'll finish six. They will, yeah. <sighs> there, I mean, there's enough areas of concern i've seen like people picking keontae johnson as like sec player of I the love year keontae which... johnson, though. You don't... i, I love keontae johnson is is he the guy that you think is going to be the best player in the sec this year uh, now I... I think he i think there are things that he does as a basketball player that are irreplaceable on a court but i don't see him as being like a grant williams type of player like he like Grant was a guy you could really just feed the ball to, and he could go make things happen. Keontae is a guy that that is best like feeding off other guys. I I will say this, two points. One, when he came out of Oak Hill, guy was just an open floor freak. You he would all he could do is sprint the wings, catch and attack, and then you got him off a reversal or a kick out, catch, rip and go, and he would just kill dudes at the rim. The question was, could he take that athleticism and build off it? Jumper came around a little bit his freshman year and showed he could, like, just on pure catch-and-shoots do it. Last year, they were putting him in ball screen actions in the slot and using him. They were putting him in, you know, in post-up situations. So his game's steadily expanded. So is he going to be Grant Williams? I don't think we're going to see his dominant player as Grant Williams and, you know, the team context in a long, long time in this league. But if you ask me to look at what Keontae Johnson's done progressively since he's come into the SEC... I think he could be a, a player of the year candidate, yeah. He, he plays efficiently. He does a lot of things really well on the defensive end. He can, you know, he's a nightmare. He can guard one through four. He rebounds really well. And he makes good decisions as a passer. Now, do you want him running offense? No, but he's a good, you know, tertiary ball handler. who can get the ball to the open man if he has to. I, I, I like Keontae Johnson. I think he's a guy, if, if Flor and this is going to bring it back to what we're saying about our sketches of Mike White, to me, the question is, is Florida going to be successful enough to justify putting him in that mix? 
Well, and also, like, I look at the makeup of their roster, you know, and again, we don't really need to spend a whole lot of time on Florida, but I, I look at, like, Scotty Lewis and Trey Mann, guys who have sort of reputations, and they're, they're coming back to school to try to rebuild those reputations. And so I worry in a situation like that where those guys are not the best players on the roster, and, and, and like, the guys who made Florida good last year, you know, were, uh, were Keontae Johnson and Noah Locke. And so if you're playing through Keontae Johnson and Noah Locke, then I think Florida is a is a 12-win team. If you're playing through Sky Lewis and Trey Mann, They're 10-win uh, I mean, yeah, 9-10 wins. So I think it, it becomes about how much control Mike White is going to have over the talent that he has because I think it's it's Florida's always talented. It's just a matter of whether uh, they're playing through the right guys. I, I guess my thing is you can put Keontae Johnson as a small ball four. That put that lets you get Scotty Lewis on the court, and then Noah Locke can play there as a floor spacer. Now that leaves what do you do with Trey Mann as a ball handler? And they've got some options at lead guard. But I th- Tyree Appleby, yeah. uh, the transfer from Cleveland State, got Quez Glover. Yeah, they got all kinds. That that to me is the question there. I think you can play. Like, you know, Quez Glover's a guy who likes to shoot the ball too. Yeah. Um. So, but I guess what I'm saying is you can find a way to get Scotty Lewis on the floor because Keontae Johnson's talented enough to slide down to the four spot and you're already going to be i think wanting to play a little bit smaller because of the bigs you have so i I think you can solve that problem lead guard though is definitely going to be a problem yeah and i think with florida the only thing i will add you guys pretty much said it Uh, i I think keontae johnson could be player of the year in the sec and i mean obviously i'm joking but i'm really not when i talk about florida like i picked them to make the final four last year i think from what i remember and you know just after you do that so many times you're like you know what i'm gonna maybe backtrack a little bit i mean florida was not as good on defense the worst defensive team he's had there thus far last year and i think that's the big thing for me is can they get back to where they were a pretty good defensive team and they're what they were in ken palm top 25 i'm pretty sure every year up until last year um in, in defensive efficiency so that's the one thing i look at with this team and say all right they have to be a much better defensive team if they can do that they've got the weapons they've got you know kind of what you need i think to win a lot of games but uh, at the same time i think florida has reached that point with me to where i'm just like man I've got to see more before I'm truly going to go into a season and say I just can't look at this team and say I feel like that they're on that same level as Tennessee or Kentucky right now. So do you feel like LSU is the inverse of that then? <laughs> yeah, that's the thing. Like with LSU, I mean, I when I first did my rankings and I did like the tiers, like we're doing. I, this was back in I don't even know when it was, but during again this year's felt like ten, so I, I don't even remember when I did this. But um, <laughs> I had LSU at three, and I felt pretty good about that. And I think right now, even I would probably put LSU at three, just because I I look at this team and I'm like. If we push aside the potential NCAA stuff, which is always going to be, I think, hanging over anyone's head at this point, uh, because as long as this process has been and how it's played out, who knows? Like, that could be something. But if we just throw that aside for a minute and just look at the the team on the floor, LSU's good enough for me to win the SEC. Like, I think they're that good in terms of their talent. Getting Watford back, getting Smart back. Um, you know, I, I didn't really ever think that Emmett Williams was going to come back, so I, that really didn't change my opinion on this team. And then Darius Days, of course, too. This Charles Manning, like I think Charles Manning's one of those guys that people don't realize how important he was to that team in terms of his defense. And this was not a great defensive team, and, and maybe they are once again one of the worst defensive teams in the SEC. I don't know. But at the same time, I just look at the depth. I look at what they have in the front court, what they have in the back court. 
I think LSU can really be the the total package if they can just be better on defense uh, overall. Um, you know, I don't know what Tarif O'Neill brings. Like, I, I mean, that's one of those things you probably wait and see, but we know what they have in the freshman class too. Uh, overall, I really like this team, and I think Will Wade is and someone. I, uh, and see, and I, I think too, like with, with Will Wade, you know, everybody's going to look at sort of that situation. And again, I completely understand why you would. Uh, but if we just have to go off of what we see on the basketball court throughout the season, I think he's a really good coach in game wise. And I think he sometimes makes the adjustments that have helped LSU kind of be to this point. Um, and, and I don't know, man, I just, I tend to think that this is going to be a very, very good team. And again, I can't say I'd be shocked either if LSU winds up, you know, maybe potentially at two or, or even having a chance to compete for the league title, given all the talent they have. Uh, one guy I really like for them is Milwaukee Wilkinson, who is number 72, I think in the two, four, seven composite, but you'll watch tape of him and you read scouting reports. Just a tough-as-nails defender, 6'6", 195, long. So I think that that's a guy who, if you need some help and you put him and Manning out there, now you've got some guys who can check some athletic wings in this league. And now the question is, where are they going to fit Cam Thomas in there, who's maybe the best pure scorer in this class? But he's got some young options there to kind of fill as he needs to. Um, I really Darius Days may not be a pro guy, but, man, he's like a perfect – third option on a college team doesn't need the ball but can score in a little bit of diverse ways whether it's cutting whether it's you know an occasional pick and pop or getting on the glass the guy just finds ways to contribute rebounds well a little bit undersized but i just he's the kind of glue guy you need as a vet um not quite sold on javante smart as a pure point his efficiency as a pick and roll player is never really improved but they got eric Gaines, who's a really really good combo point guard waiting on the bench so i i just there's enough pieces and enough different ways that i trust will to put it together that i i think like you're saying if if he gets the alchemy right they could really be a, a problem for tennessee and kentucky well and i think one of the areas where they really struggled defensively last year was at the rim um uh, you know trendon watford has good size but he's not he's a floater he's center. gonna float on right. the perimeter and so I think that's one of the things like having, uh, you know, Brian Penn Johnson, uh, who I think has really good size, good rim uh, protection ability, uh, you know, and then maybe you get something out of Sharif O'Neal, uh, you know, but I think if, if, if you have, you know, Penn Johnson on the floor uh, and Watford on the floor, it allows Watford to kind of do that freelance a little bit more, which he's obviously more comfortable doing. Because um, it's really one of the things that made, I think, LSU so tough a few years ago. Uh, you know, is they just had great rim protection. Right. And so I, I don't think, I don't think guys like, you know, Javante smart necessarily adjusted or, or even like Skylar Mays who, you know, I, I know people will know us well enough at this point that we just, we love Skylar Mays, but this he was Skylar. a gambler. And, and, and when you, when you gamble uh, defensively, like you leave the rim open and I, you know, I think teams were able to exploit that a lot last year. So if, if they have a little bit better size around the rim, um, and it, it looks like this team will, and I think they can probably overcome some of the you know perimeter deficiencies that they that they may have. Uh, so yeah, so so we're all kind of consensus that there are three. So that leaves us kind of top two. We haven't really talked about Missouri, but I know Matt and I talked plenty about Missouri. So we'll probably just wrap <laughs> with getting Blake's uh, take yeah. on Mizzou. Well, look, um, I'll just give you them real. Let's just give go through them real quick, like because I I think with Missouri, 
I know I, I, you know, again, doing the preview for Blue Ribbon, talking to Conzo, like we talked about it before we started recording. I think he he feels really good about this team, and I think it's because of the experience they have. I think in a season like this, I'm going to value experience um, probably more so than not on some of these teams like this. Uh, it, everything comes down to if they have their entire rotation intact for the entire season, which for any team is hard to do because you know you're going to have injuries, you know you're going to have these other things, but if they can just keep their key players on the floor – for the majority of the season, I really think this team can can win games because I, I think they have some of those things if the offense can be consistent. And I'm saying if a lot, which is the problem, I guess, when you look at it. But um, I just look, I, I like this. I like the makeup of this team. I like the just experience that they have, because I, I do tend to think experience in this season is going to amount for something. Um, is it going to be a lot more than usual? I don't know, but I do think it's going to just having the offseason we've had and the chemistry and all those different things. I do think it's going to play a factor. And if it does, Missouri is the most experienced team in the SEC with everything they have coming back. So I'm very intrigued, but uh, I will say that I'm also cautiously optimistic about this Missouri team <laughs> because that's the best way to put it because you guys, we've talked about it so many times, and as you said, you've talked about it a lot already this offseason. The offense, I'm just, I'm very curious to see what it looks like. You would expect all these guys to make a jump this year. If they do, I think Missouri is a potential NCAA tournament team. Uh, if they stay on the level to where they have been last year or sort of the year before in terms of just their overall development, uh, then they're probably not. So I, that's really what it comes down to. And, and again, I know that's not really convincing one way or the other, but that's just kind of where we're at with this program, I think, at this point. Quickly, they figured out, I think they found. It took them some stages last year, but I think the injuries helped them, helped the staff finally yeah. find a style that they could do. Because, look, I, I was in the camp of saying, you can play off Jeremiah Tillman. He can be this really diverse guy off the post. That that just has not come to pass. You know, they tried running some really intricate off-ball screening actions after he you know, kind of went down a little bit. Those didn't work. And so finally they just said, let's just give the ball to Drew Smith and Xavier Pinson. We're not going to run any more pick and rolls than we normally do, but they're going to be the run ones running most of them, and we're going to kick out the shooters, and we're just going to strip this thing down, and we're going to let guys go. Now, can that work over 30 games? Again, unclear, like you said. we got to see it play out. But I think the injuries, rather than like just looking for a way to keep forcing what they were doing, it forced them to adapt, and maybe they found a solution there. Other thing is the schedule's friendly for them. They, they have a friendly enough schedule, I think, this year, if assuming we, they get to play anything close to all of it, that I think is going to set them up pretty well. So I think the offense may have, you know, evolved, you know, out of necessity to where it needs to be, and the schedule helps them. So that that's the optimist case. So you heard it here first, folks. Uh, your twenty twenty one SEC basketball champions, the Missouri Tigers. Uh, if that doesn't happen, it's probably going to be either kentucky or tennessee yes um i think we all probably agree on that <laughs> uh i'm gonna go ahead and I'll, I'll take our our fair mizzou tigers but um i actually have kentucky coming out on, on top i just always have a hard time i think i've done these previews for like, what five years in a row and i've had kentucky first every year uh actually i think one year i did have tennessee maybe it's the the grant williams um yeah, I, I think once they won once, I'm like, ah, we'll give it to them this year <laughs> also. Um, but yeah, so Rick Barnes has a really interesting team. 
Um, I do think that there are some people maybe a little higher on Tennessee than I am. Uh, I don't necessarily think this is like a Final Four kind of team. I think this is a Top 25 kind of team. Um, and I, So I think they're going to be really good. Uh, John Fulkerson kind of had a breakout down the stretch last year. Eve Pons is just a freak of an athlete, can play every position on the floor. Maybe you don't want to put him at point guard, but... Um, you know, but it, you have so you have the um, the returners, and then they import two really, really talented, um, you know, high level five star uh, kind of wings. I think both both those guys kind of play the wing. So you have a ready made roster for a team that I think everyone's going to be really excited about. Um, are, are there any hesitations that you have, Blake, about Tennessee <laughs> and their ability to kind of finish? Uh, are you just are you just you drinking all the, uh, the orange man, juice? Man, I there? I'm filling up the orange juice right now as we're talking. <laughs> like I I if you thought I was all in on Alabama, like I'm all all in on Tennessee. Um I just I love this team. I don't think there's gonna be a team in the SEC that has a better one through eight than Tennessee. I just think that they are the complete package. If Victor Bailey can come in and kind of be add that shooting threat. I think they are going to be a complete team, and I mean that on both sides of the floor. Like I think defensively, good luck to anyone trying to score on Tennessee. I just think it's going to be so hard to do with having Ponds, having Fulkerson, um, having some of these longer guys they're going to bring in with the freshmen with Springer, and um, you, you know, I, I just I really do look at this team and say, man, Keon Johnson, those guys like that. They are going to add something. I will say the one thing I think that could sort of take them to that level of being a Final Four team is seeing how Josiah Jordan-James, kind of what his progression looks like. If he can take the big leap, and look, we, we say this sometimes, like even with these top guys, like these five-star talents like that, there are some guys who just don't adjust as well when they come in their first season. I think he's someone... I think that that kind of understood some things that he needs to do better, and I think he saw some things in his first season that's going to help him be better this year. But... With the leadership of guys like Pons and Fulkerson in a season like this, um, I, you know, and even EJ Anasicki, like he's an intriguing one for me because he does come, you know, from Sacred Heart. But at the same time, I mean, this guy is a pretty good player just from watching him and, and saying, I feel like because of his size and sort of the, the strength and what he's going to add, you have Pons, Fulkerson, and Anasicki. Like that's what, I, I, again, scoring on Tennessee, especially in the paint, Getting a rebound on Tennessee, I think it's going to be really hard to do for opposing teams. And so I, I am. I, I I will tell you, I think they are Final Four good. I think if everything comes together, of course, Santiago Viscovi, he's an interesting one too because he turned the ball over so much last year. But, I mean, you would think, <laughs> so, though, right? Like they, he's going to be so better. That, that is, Yeah, that's my hesitation with Tennessee is I don't love their point guard situation. Yeah. And if, if – uh, so if, if – Jordan James comes out and he's sort of like the de facto point guard. I'll feel a little better. Um, I think two, three, four, five, they are as good as anybody in the country. Yeah. Uh, Santiago Viscovi just, he, I mean, he's he, he's good, um, but I just don't know. Like, I really think when you're talking about like a final four level, te- final four level team, you're talking about uh, a team with elite guard play. Yeah. And, I don't think you're going to get elite guard play from Vescovi. Um, maybe Bailey Jr. can kind of step in, but he's never really been a point guard. I just don't know that they have a point guard solution on the roster. So I think Vescovi gets it by default, and I don't love that situation. So I think I think they're easily top two in the league. Um, 
I, I think they're definitely a top 25 team. They could probably get their way to like a protected seed in the NCAA tournament, but that's where I'm just kind of stopping a little bit short. The one counter to that is that Rick Barnes runs a modified version of the flex, which you don't, if you go more to like how Bob McKillop has done it, like Davidson, which he kind of borrowed it from and tweaked it for what Tennessee does. You can get around not having a point guard issue. Um, it's not ideal, but you could tweak the scheme to do it. I, they're just, you talk about the back, the, the front court is just tough and it's big. And it's just going to be a nightmare if you manage to get to the rim to finish there. <laughs> but this assumes that you're going to be able to get past like a long wing like Keon Johnson or Josiah Jordan James. Or like Corey Walker, who can play the three and the four in a six eight two nine. Like they're just, it's going to be arms for days. It's just going to be a, a a forest of arms out there. And I think they're if the offense isn't perfect, they're going to be able to offset it by just putting the clamps on you defensively, like that. I or being able to use that to create some turnover and transition opportunities, maybe to offset you know some of Vescovi's issues there. So I. I just like what they have. I like their personnel a lot. Um, Victor Bailey's a guy who I think can just do wonders for them in terms of spacing and, you know, keeping driving lanes open. And, and you know, there's just a lot to like. Again, they got to put it together, but there's just a nice blend of elite talent here, experience, and just really tough dudes on this roster. And, and I think, you know, we've seen Rick Barnes do it with lesser talent. We'll see if he can, you know, <laughs> achieve the same uh, level with the kind of talent he's brought in now. There are Texas fans who would quibble and say that he can do that. Uh, the <laughs> latter half of his tenure in Austin, uh, they would point to. But just on paper, they they answer a lot of the questions that, that you look for as a team who's going to, you know, contend for a conference title. And I feel like this is a Tennessee team that's going to absolutely frustrate the hell out of Kentucky. Like with this particular Kentucky team. And that's why I look at this and say, okay, I feel more confident in Tennessee because I feel like they are going to frustrate this Kentucky team to no end. Because, yeah, and that's the thing. It's like everybody's talking about Saar and all this, and look, he's a good player. Like, again, Kentucky's much better with him than without him, but it's like they don't have that one through three like you could potentially have with Pons, Fulkerson, and Anasicki in there. Um, And so that's why I tend to look at this and say, man, we thought that Grant Williams, Admiral Schofield, that they were kind of those guys that could be a thorn in the side of a team like Kentucky. I feel like this Tennessee team could really just sort of be that. Now, again, you compare the guard play, maybe there are differences. But when you look at the front court, like I just, I don't know. I feel like this is a a tough-minded Tennessee team that is really going to frustrate this particular Kentucky team. Yeah, and, and to kind of turn to Kentucky a little bit, like if there was ever a Kentucky roster where you just sort of, you know, kind of give it a, a little bit of a skeptical eye, it might be this one. Um, because it's it's a roster that we're not really used to seeing from John Calipari. Like, you know, Olivier Saar, uh, like I said, good player, was a, was a really good player on a really pretty terrible team at Wake Forest. Um, they, they're importing Davion Mintz uh, from... Uh, from Creighton. Um, Keon Brooks is the lone holdover. They've got Obi Toppin's little brother. Uh, and, you know, so they've got Cameron Fletcher with Mizzou fans are very familiar with Cameron Fletcher, um, probably in a backup role. Lance Ware is like a backup big. Isaiah Jackson's very athletic, good defender. Uh, I really like um, BJ Boston. I was a, a big fan of Devin Askew watching him. 
I think you know, like those two plus Terrence Clark. I think Terrence Clark has the uh, has the ability to kind of be an All SEC level guy, and and if he plays that way, then I think Kentucky is is by far the best team in the league. Um, but that's that is a, sort of a big if, and and because this is such like and and John's never really gone too deep down his bench. Yeah, yeah, he, but but this is like. This is a team like we're used to seeing, you know, Cal with uh, you know, going seven, but the seventh guy is still like a top 15 kind of player, and he just doesn't have that level of talent on this roster. He struggled with um, bigs, elite bigs recently. Like, that, that's that been the thing. I mean, like, Lance Ware is a solid big, and Isaiah Jackson's an absolute freak of a shot blocker, but like, are they the caliber of bigs that he was drawing in two, three years ago, even? I, I'm not sure. No. So, and I think that's why he's had to turn to the grad transfer market. I mean, it's, we can talk. Yeah, there was the, the, the kid last year. I'm going to forget his name, but. Uh, Sestina out of Bucknell. Yeah, Nate Sestina. And then the year before that, Reed Travis. So he's, like, credit to Cal for, like, find, for being creative and finding solutions, but he's working the transfer market not just to find veterans, but because they've gotten into some recruiting battles and they've lost them. Yeah. And so realistically like isaiah jackson is a freak of an athlete and a great shot blocker he is also a stick and can get knocked around a little bit lance Ware, you know good player but i think he's going to need a year in cal systems oh and olivier sarley like said was a good player on a bad team like i just the guard you're going to tune in to watch tennessee kentucky for the guard play but what's going to decide that game like we said a minute ago was who's going to have the better back front court and right now i give that edge to tennessee so uh, it'll be interesting to see though how he fleshes out that guard rotation though because keon brooks is back um if you i think i think if kentucky had like a little little bit of a different layout of the roster if they just had one maybe more elite big guy or even uh even another like really good guard i i i'd be a little bit more convinced, um, but yeah, I'm I'm at the point where I just I'm I've given the edge to Kentucky just because like like I kind of said before, I feel like Cal's I always do that it. every year. Like I, I mean, like they're always going to be good. Um, I, I I do like their guard picture a little bit better in Tennessee's as far as the point guard. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, it's it's going to be an interesting year, and and I you know Blake, I do like your point about. Tennessee being able to frustrate Kentucky. Um, and this isn't a year where, you know, they're going to benefit from the home crowd at Rupp. Yeah. Um, you know, so, like, and again, like, there's going to be so many things that we're tossing out, you know, because of because of COVID and, and the restrictions that we have on <laughs> on attendance and, and home and road records and all that kind of stuff. Well, and that's like with a team like Auburn, right? Like, I mean, think about Auburn, and I know our, you know, John Ross team pointed this out, but it's like, think about Auburn and how many games they've won at Auburn Arena. Like, just, I mean, that's one of the things you think about. It's like, man, if there's nobody in there and you got one of the youngest teams in the country, it's like, how do you project that? And I think that's that's the problem with all these teams. It's like, we, we project teams based on what we see on the roster. Like, we really have to do that this year because we can't factor in, like, the home court advantage and that type of stuff because we just don't know what it's going to look like. Well, you talk about projecting them. Like, what if, what's Camp Cal going to look like in December this year? Yeah, like, right. He They use those first two months going into the Louisville game to just 
flail around a little bit, and you can do it like Lockwork. They play the Champions Classic. Some freshman goes off. We get a bunch of features written about the this you know new start at Kentucky. Then he has a couple rough games. They struggle and kind of like muddle through against some mid majors in Rupp. And then they go play, you know, in the UCLA, North Carolina, Ohio State event. They start to put it together. And then by late December, Cal's, like, figured out his rotation. He's got guys slotted. He's got his six or seven. And then they go off. Are they going to get that at all this year? So, like, that's the one thing I worry about. Not worry about, but I think you could factor in with Kentucky, too, is is that sort of blending and, you know, chemistry experiment going to seep into the SEC schedule at all for them? And is it going to cost them a couple of games and, you know, put them at a little bit of a disadvantage? And if you've got to play a team like Tennessee, where there is some youth on that roster, but there's four or five experienced vet who've been through some wars here, I think that's going to be the other compounding factor for them. So I think that's why I could, like, I had Kentucky first, but I can easily be swayed into Tennessee winning the conference. Well, we made it. We did it. 14 teams. Uh, an hour and like 45 minute podcast, which I think might be a record for Rocket Nation podcast. But um, I honestly did We've not expect it. us to go that long. Um, but I always like to blame it on Matt because he's long winded. <laughs> well, we did spend like at least 10 minutes on Vanderbilt, right? Like we, we started with a pretty nice little discussion about Vanderbilt. That could have been the Vanderbilt season team preview. Which is really um, kind of funny. I, I think, think early like, on. The consensus so. is like the, the, like the teams at the top are pretty, pretty much the same. Teams at the bottom are pretty much the same. So you'd think we'd spend the rest of the time kind of slotting everybody in the middle, but we really went <laughs> in on a Vandy. Uh, well, well. That's hey, what yeah, in-depth analysis like, on a team from a uh, that you don't even cheer for. So that's what uh, dive cuts is for, because we dive deep into <laughs> into the opponents, which is what you want to know. Um, Blake, man, it's always good to have you on. Uh, I enjoy like our conversations. Like it's, I feel like where uh one of a small group of people who just really watch a lot of sec basketball so we're, we're all in this this pain together um so i want to give you an opportunity uh i know it's been a while been a while since we've had you on just go ahead and tell people like you know what you're doing where they can read your stuff and uh anything you got going on in your life yeah, I always enjoy it, guys. I, I don't just say this because I'm on here with you and I'm afraid of you uh, cutting off my microphone, but <laughs> this is always my favorite podcast of the year is when we do this uh, before the season because I know we're going to really go into each of these SEC teams because we're all crazy enough to do it. Um, but yeah, I mean, really, I, you know, I'm doing the stuff at Blue Ribbon. That's kind of my main thing now. It's just uh, being an associate editor now for, for Blue Ribbon Yearbook and um, you know, doing a lot of stuff with our, our online Blue Ribbon Report, which is on Substack, I think, like everyone else at this point. But, uh, yeah, we're just, you know, we're, we're trying to just kind of be like everybody else, try to figure out what this season's going to look like. But, of course, the, the Blue Ribbon Yearbook, uh, I say it every year, it's just uh, a great resource. I love reading it, just even to someone who does writing for different conferences. I just love going through and reading some about some of these teams because it's just fun to do. Uh, but, yeah, you can check that out at uh, blueribbonyearbook.com, print version, digital version whatever you want uh, it's over there but uh, i guess for everything else you can just follow me on twitter at the blake level even though uh, i really haven't been on twitter all that much uh, here lately i guess we can think the election cycle for that 
Yeah, it's been a, a, a contemptuous time for, for Twitter, so I think we're all looking forward to uh, at least getting back to some level of normalcy, um, you know, <laughs> post, post-COVID. Uh, but, Blake, thanks for coming on, man. Um, we're going to get out of here. Uh, you can uh, follow me on Twitter, follow Matt on Twitter. You know where we are. Uh, all complaints about the length of this podcast go to Mitch Hill. Um, <laughs> Mitch is going to murder us. Listen, yeah. you don't have to listen to a podcast all at once. Like, that's what podcasts are. <laughs> don't, no one be complaining, all right? You can listen to this over a span of four or five days if you want. It's exactly, fine. exactly. Yeah, and, and Mitch always does a great job of having, like, timestamps. So, so, you know, you'll know when we're going to talk about Missouri for 30 seconds or we're going to talk about Vanderbilt for 15 minutes. So Timestamp that PSA, Mitch, please. <laughs> All right, well, make sure you're subscribed. uh, (laughs) Otherwise, uh, you won't get this delivered directly to your mobile device. Uh, Thanks for tuning in, everybody. And Matt and I will be back next week, uh, which I think will be after, hopefully, Missouri plays its first game. Real games. So thanks for tuning in, everybody. Have, Have a great night.